0: Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22, verse 50. This miracle is the last miracle that Jesus performed before the cross, and it's very easy to glance over, to ignore even this miracle, because Jesus is in a very difficult situation he is in a very uh, he's in a battle as it were with the religious forces of Israel now this event in the Garden of Gethsemane is in all four Gospels in Luke 22 and John 18 and Mark 14 and Matthew 26 now in Matthew and Mark it simply says somebody cut off somebody's right ear okay very quickly stated with no depth to it. John is the only gospel that tells us who it is. It is Peter that cut off Malchus's ear. And Malchus was a servant of the high priest. And only in Luke do we have the miracle of Jesus healing the ear. And so, depending on which gospel you're reading, it would be very easy to gloss over this miracle. But let's... Look at it more in depth and let's look at how Jesus got to the place where the guy's ear was cut off. This is Thursday night of Passion Week. Jesus had just finished the Upper Room Discourse. He had just instituted the Lord's Supper that we celebrate once a month. He has sent Judas away to do what Judas was going to do. And then him and the eleven disciples leave the upper room. And they go and they head toward the garden of Gethsemane and they walk across the Kidron Valley. And Jesus pauses on the way to Gethsemane and prays what we call the high priestly prayer. It is contained in John 17. All of John 17 is Jesus' prayer. And he prays in John 17 that he hasn't lost any except for Judas. And this becomes a very important part in this miracle. Then they reach Gethsemane. And Jesus leaves the 11 disciples and he goes a little further and he prays. And his prayer is that he will not... Take the cup that God the Father has prepared for him. Now, throughout the Bible, whenever God has a cup, that cup is always his wrath. It is the cup of God's wrath. It is talked about in God's judgment throughout the Old Testament that as this particular country, their cup was not full yet. God's wrath had not reached a limit and when, God's, when the cup was full, then it is poured out on a particular country, on a particular people in the Old Testament. And so when Jesus is using the word cup, he is using it as a euphemism of the wrath of God. That the wrath of God is being prepared for Jesus because of our sin... And he doesn't want that. It's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult. It's going to separate him from God the Father. It's going to do all these things that have never happened before in all of creation or all of eternity. And while he's doing this and an angel comes and ministers to him while he's crying through this, the disciples sleep. So Jesus comes back. They're asleep. He says, can't you wake with me? And then Judas and the people come. Now this is not a Roman operation. There may be a handful of Romans there because when in the middle of the night you see a large group of people and it is called a great crowd throughout the Gospels in all four Gospels, a large crowd, a great crowd. So the high priest and his people left the temple and their dwelling places there. And as they went, they collected with them some thugs and some temple guards. There were Jewish soldiers who were temple guards to protect the temple from ruffians and people who would come. And they were collected. And if you were a Jewish person back then and you, you saw a big crowd walking down the street, you might join them to find out what they're doing. And so the crowd seemed to grow and be collected as they went. It says, if you take all four Gospels, they had torches because it was night. They had swords and they had weapons. And the word for weapons usually means things like clubs or large sticks. Okay? And so... This is not a organized military group. This is a group of people that are just whoever wants to go have some fun, you know, and go beat up some people. And so they're heading toward Gethsemane, led by Jesus. And so they arrive, and and Judas gives Jesus a kiss as the signal, which is a weird signal, because, I mean, Jesus, there's only 12 people in the whole garden, and one of them's Jesus. And then one of the people that are part of the priestly group says, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus says, I am he, and they all fall back, they all fall backwards to the ground, okay, that's in John 18, and then they all get up and they come at him again. Now, when you look at this group, you can say, well, well, how big was it? The Bible does not say how big it was, but extra-biblical uh, Roman historians during that time estimate that the group was 500 people. So you have 500 people all falling backwards upon themselves because the power of God, when Jesus said who he was, sent them back. And so they, they show up and Jesus is under arrest. They grab him. It says they laid hands on him and seized him. If this was a modern sort of thing, they would have handcuffed him to take him away. He was under the control of the mob very early on. And then it says in John 18 uh, that Peter had a sword. And you say, well, how did Peter get a sword? If you go back to the upper room, Jesus asked if they had any swords. Peter said he had two So Peter had a sword from whenever. It's a short sword, about this long is the word for sword, so it's not one of those big, you know, swinging things. It's it's a stabbing sword, mostly. You also got to remember that Peter is what? He's a commercial fisherman. So out of this group, they give the sword to a commercial fisherman. They give the sword to an impetuous commercial fisherman. There had to be, out of that 11, somebody trained in the use of a sword. Had to be. But yet Peter gets it. Peter may have taken it. And he was the, a commercial fisherman. And so he gives it a swing. And he swings... At the crowd. Now imagine you've got 12 people, Jesus and the 11, against 500. Now Peter just saw everybody fall backwards when Jesus said, I am he. Jesus has seen miracles of healing. He has seen the feeding of the 5,000. He has seen the feeding of the 4,000. He has seen all these things. He has seen the resurrection of Lazarus. He has seen all these things, and even though the Bible doesn't say what his mind is, his mind is probably, we can take these guys. Jesus and me are a majority. I've heard that before, you know, God and you are a majority. He probably thought that, and he probably thought, one sword and Jesus, I can hack my way through these 500, and we can get out of here. Okay, that seems to be what's going on. We do not know what was in his mind, but it's easy to put that on there and say that he is is standing up for Jesus. Okay, the person who said, I'm never going to leave you in the upper room. And Jesus said, before the cock crows three times, you will have denied me. And so he swings And one of the great jokes in seminary when we're going through the Gospels is you got to ask the question, what was Peter aiming for? Because if you have a sword, if you have a short sword, and somebody tells you, cut off that person's ear, that's a tough job without killing them, without taking out their shoulder, without hitting them in their carotid artery. It's a tough thing to do. And so... The guess is, because he's not a trained swordsman, is that he was just swinging and Malchus, the slight servant of the high priest, ducked and he got his ear cut off, either by a, a nick or whatever, but the way it says is a piece of his ear was removed, okay? Now when it says that he was a servant or a slave of the high priest, he is a bond servant. A bond servant means that he had some sort of debt, and he was indebted to the high priest, uh, either through the high priest, doing something for him, or uh, buying a debt or something of this nature. He was in debt to the high priest. and so he was working off that debt. And because he's a bond servant, he must do what the high priest says to pay off the debt. And so he was sent as part of this group, probably to just be another set of hands, another body to make sure Jesus does not get out of the way. Now, who's the high priest at this time? The high priest is Caiaphas. Caiaphas is an evil, evil, self-advancing person who saw Jesus as a problem with regard to his wealth with a regard to his power with a regard to his position as the high priest remember the high priest is the one who individually only the high priest could go into the holy of holies and present the sins of the people to God for forgiveness And if he comes out and and feels like he wants to lie about something, he could say, well, God told me to do this, or God told me that Israel's supposed to go in this direction. And there's evidence that he was very similar to a modern-day boss of organized crime, that he was setting up things to make sure that the priestly class had power and money, and Jesus was stopping that. Jesus was saying, no, individuals need to go to God directly, individually, and they don't need the priest. And so he saw that as something that needed to be removed, and so he is going to stop Jesus. And so... This group comes and Peter is just flailing around and he accidentally knocks off a guy's ear. And Jesus says in John eighteen fifty one, he says, no more of this am I not supposed to drink the cup that God has prepared for me. So Jesus is resigned. Jesus is accepting. Jesus has prayed that there be another way That if God the Father can come up with another way, let's do the other way. That was his prayer. If you have another way, not another person, because nobody else can die for the sins of the world, but another way, another thing for Jesus to do. And God basically said, nope, that is how it has to be. That is what you're going to do. And so Jesus is accepting of that. Jesus has... uh, accepted what is going to happen and Peter is trying to stop him. Peter is trying to remove the the danger probably to crown Jesus as a king. The the Jewish idea of the disciples back then were that Jesus was going to... uh, Stand up to the Romans and wipe out the Romans and become king of the Jews and become king of the world. That was a thought. And if these 500 people are going to arrest Jesus, then that is stopping Peter's plan. That is stopping the plan of the disciples. But Jesus stops him. He says, no more of this. He did not defeat the crowd. He willingly... Let them arrest him. You have to remember at this point, when you look at this, and if you were there, it might be difficult to see, but who is in control of the situation? Jesus is 100% in control of the situation. The people cannot lay a hold of him unless he lets them lay a hold of him. He is... Moving this along, and I think you see that during the trials and stuff, Jesus kind of gets impatient with the delays. He wants to move it along and get this over with because it is a major task that he is undertaking. And so Jesus stops it because he needs to go to the cross. But he also stops it because if you remember back in John 17... Jesus prayed, I haven't lost any. You gave me 11, I got 11. And if he starts a battle, Jesus will definitely survive. They can't kill Jesus. But Peter, James, John, Matthew, Nathaniel, Bartholomew, the gang might get injured, might get hurt, might get killed, would definitely get arrested. If they started a battle in the Garden of Gethsemane, then all of Jesus' followers would be arrested with him. And instead of three crosses on the hill, there'd be 12 for all of his disciples. And Jesus, as he is dying on the cross... His prophecy of I haven't lost any would not come true. So Jesus is trying to protect them. Jesus is protecting them by saying, don't fight. If you don't fight, they won't arrest you. If you don't fight, they won't kill you. If you don't fight, you will survive to live another day. And then in Luke twenty-two fifty-one, 51, we have the miracle... It says, but Jesus said no more of this, and he touched his ear and healed him. Now the word for touch means to lay your hands on it, to to grab a hold of it. Not a light ding, but to grab it. And so Jesus, maybe the ear was on the ground, and so Jesus picks up the ear and restores it. But you say, wait a minute, wait a minute jesus is under arrest jesus has people holding on to him jesus is seized by the people and he needs to step forward bend down pick up the piece of ear and put it back and heal the person and you say how did he do that well he's jesus He made them loosen their grip. He made them move him toward the person to Malchus. he He orchestrated this healing. Now, if you if you ponder what is going on, Jesus is going to be arrested. He is going to be tortured. He is going to be crucified for the sins of the world. And this is the start of that process. Jesus is, in a word, busy. Jesus has a lot of stuff on his mind. Jesus has a lot of orchestration to move along. Because you got to remember, Jesus, by the very force of his will, is keeping the universe running and keeping the universe together. And this is an... Annoyance, but it is an important annoyance, and it's a difficult thing. It would have been, if you want to give Jesus the ability to have excuses, he would have more righteous and holy excuses during this time to not heal this guy, to walk past him, to let him go, to let it just Go by the wayside. But he stops, he stops all of the proceedings. He pauses the arrest. He pauses the taking him away. And he's able to heal this person. And his healing is complete. The person, if they had any sort of bleeding is gone. Their hearing is perfect. Uh, Any pain is gone if you were to examine Malchus's ear after this, you would have not seen anything different. It was a complete and total healing. And then Jesus says, okay, back to the arrest. And they go back into the arrest and they arrest him. And they take him uh, to the high priest's house and all the disciples left him and fled. It says that in Matthew twenty six fifty six. All the disciples, every last one of them, left him and fled. And so they lived to fight another day, as it were, and Jesus didn't lose any of them. Jesus' prophecy of his keeping of the people becomes true. And so when we look at this miracle, what does this miracle show us? about Jesus Christ and the love of God. First of all, the timing of the miracle. Jesus is in the middle of being arrested. Malchus is an enemy. He is on the enemy side. He is not a follower of Jesus. He is a follower of the high priest. And so he is on the enemy side, and Jesus, in the midst of this arrest, pauses to heal an enemy to heal somebody who maybe at the foot of the cross maybe involved in his crucifixion would definitely cheer on the romans who were crucifying jesus someone who stood against jesus now it's all speculation malchus does not appear in any other document after this but you have to wonder whether he now changed his view of Jesus. Now Jesus was a good guy. Now Jesus was somebody to be followed. Uh, We can hope that. We can hope that we'll see Malchus in heaven. But we don't know. We do not know what happened to him. But it's more about Jesus than about Malchus. It is about Jesus taking time out of one of the most difficult things that he is doing to heal somebody who hates him. And so it shows us, first of all, the unbounding grace of God is that this person didn't deserve healing. This person didn't ask for healing. This person got what he deserved. He was fighting against Jesus and one of Jesus' people cut off his ear. And we might say, well, that's, that's reasonable. That's a reasonable He deserved that because he's putting himself in harm's way. And then harm came to him. And Jesus, being a a person, a God of grace, saw somebody hurting, saw an enemy who was hurting, saw somebody who didn't deserve healing, but Jesus healed him anyway. There's no evidence that Malchus asked for anything. And so giving Malchus his ear back is a sign of grace, is a sign of compassion because it took a difficult, hard situation and did an act of grace in the midst of it. Jesus is in the middle in Gethsemane, of a battle, of a war, as the songs say, between good and evil, for the gain of man's soul or its loss, everything in the universe is resting upon Jesus going to the cross. If you want a relationship with God, the only way you get it is through Jesus Christ. And so the the idea that he was doing important work, we could say the most important work in all of eternity was being done by Jesus. And yet, because he is a God of grace, he stopped and he healed one of his enemies. He caused the arrest To pause. The only way we can see how he could pull this off. Because he could have done it from a distance. He healed from a distance all over the place. But he touched the person. And when we see what Jesus is under. I don't know if you've ever watched like Law and Order or CSI or something like that. When someone's under arrest and they make a movement toward this area. They get knocked down. They are told, stop moving, you know, you're under arrest. And if they try to move in this direction or move in that direction or pick up their phone or do whatever's going on, they're not allowed to do it. And you have to put that same level of weight on the crowd of 500 that are with Jesus. He is surrounded. He is seized That means people have a hold of him tightly and he is able to stop the arrest to create an intermission, if you will, where they could not stop him from doing this. And he calmly moves over and heals the person's ear. He is advancing upon the enemy during the arrest And they can't do anything to stop him. So he caused, in the midst of this battle for eternity, he caused the arrest to pause. And as the arrest paused, he was able to heal Malchus. And then it's like he snaps his fingers and they're back into arrest mode and everything goes the way it was and my guess is of the 500 because a random crowd of 500 you can't see everything so the people who saw the healing were probably very few secondly what Jesus did at this time shows us the steadfast love of God that God is going to love you whether you want him to or not. God is going to love you and show his love and show his compassion whether you want him to or not. And in the midst of this difficult situation, as one commentator said, if anybody was in a position to not heal, it would be Jesus, but he healed anyway. Why did he heal anyway? He healed anyway because he is a God of love, because God is love, because Jesus is love, because he is a loving, loving God toward his people. As the Psalms say, the steadfast love of God never fails. And when you look at a situation like this, it is not only a passive, yes, God loves you, It is an active pushing through the busyness and the noise and the crowd and the difficulty, pushing through that to get to somebody who needed the love of God. And he did, and he healed Malchus's ear. And so, Jesus, if we were to Look at this and imagine how chaotic it was, how difficult it was, how impactful it was on the emotions. Jesus literally moved heaven and earth to heal Malchus. He literally used the full power of God to move the couple of feet necessary and heal Malchus because God is a God of grace and because God is a God whose steadfast love never fails. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I thank you for this day. I thank you that even though Jesus was going to die in a few hours, he took time. He took time to pause the events of the world to heal malchus's ear lord we praise you for that and i help that you would cause us to understand that in our most difficult situations in our most busy and bizarre situations the steadfast love of god never fails lord i praise you for this and ask your blessing on the remainder of the day i ask this through the blood of christ amen